Alright guys, this is Staying Alive, the podcast, and I'm Louis J. And uh, checking in, it's been a week or so, so uh, we had an opportunity to kind of breathe a little bit, see some numbers go up and down for COVID. It made me think of uh, some of the things that happen in my corporate life and what happens in my entertainment life, and I couldn't help but think of a good friend that I've worked with over the last couple of years. Well, more than that, actually, now. We've been, we've been doing stuff for a while. But I wanted to bring a good friend of mine, Sandy Jobin Bevins, on the show tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Yay! Yes! Louis, Louis, you know we're friends if you pronounced my last name correctly, and you did it. Well, there you go. Absolutely nailed it. Uh, as you know, with these events we sometimes do, my name is butchered constantly. Too, too much to our delight, though. All the time. <laughs> it's, a po- <laughs> it's, a, it's one of those drinking games where you, where you check off when something's gone wrong, and yeah. usually the name comes up all the time. Jobin Bevins. It seems easy, but uh, it's made very difficult by overthinking it, I think, is, the, well, that's, is what happens there. That's a challenge. Yeah. Well, we've worked in corporate environments for a while, but you've got a really great you know, uh, story for where you came from, where you are. It's, it's in entertainment, um, from comedy to... To writing, to acting, you've been on the small screen, the big screen. Um, why don't we tell those folks that were kind enough to tune in tonight yes. what what you've been up to, where you came from? Uh, so uh, I am originally from Flin Flon, Manitoba, which is northern Manitoba, and uh, there's not much of a theater scene there or acting or a TV or film scene uh, no. there. But uh, yeah, I was growing. I grew up in northern Manitoba, which is mostly known for uh, the birthplace of Bobby Clark, the Hall of Fame hockey player. And um, I moved to Toronto or Georgetown area, was here for a long time. And fast forward, basically, I was ended up back in Winnipeg and I was in a sketch troupe. And uh, as everyone did in the 90s, had sketch and improv troops going on, uh, all trying to be the next kids in the hall. And then we uh, decided collectively we should move to Toronto to, to try to get our career going. So we moved here together, all lived together in a house on the east side of Toronto. And uh, then eventually I got Second City. I got Second City and said to those guys, listen, I'd rather get paid to do this. So I, I quit that group basically and started to uh, improvise and do sketch comedy at Second City. And uh, how, long was was the, how long was the run at, at Second City? Uh, I was at Second City in the touring company for two years in the 90s. And then I got main stage in the 2000s. And between 2000 and 2004, I was just doing main stage pretty much all the time. I quit very, I quit very briefly. I did two shows for two, two years, two shows, left for a year, came back and did three more years, three shows. So five years total of every night doing shows there. So if you're talking about 10,000 hours of doing improv to be very good at it. An expert. We definitely hit that level. Yeah, for Amazing. sure. Amazing. Yeah. Well, imp- improv, I want to talk about that today too, because it, it actually ties into coming back to how we might be able to help, you know, small business or business corporate, anybody really personally yeah. in their lives with uh, what improv can actually do to, to, to change the way you approach things. I think yeah. that's really valuable. And I want to I want to get some value out to everybody that's listening tonight. Um, but I love the story before that. You weren't always in um, in acting. Um, no. Where did you come from before that? Uh, I was actually going to be a high school history teacher. So I was in college at University of Manitoba. Uh, I was there to be a teacher, wanted to be a teacher. And then just in the last six months before I got my degree, much to my mother's chagrin still, I just said, uh, well, if I don't go to Toronto now, I'm never going to go. If I don't go to try to be an actor, I'll never do it. So uh drama was my minor so it would have been like a history slash drama teacher i guess in high school and i always felt like the best drama teachers had actually acted in some way uh they had some of the actual skills that that they could pass on so i really wanted to at least do that at least try to be an actor try to do some of that and then bring it back if i had to do the teaching so that's where it really was at uh but then it just kept going kept getting work in toronto which was great 
and never had to go back. But my mom was constantly and still constantly says things like, if you just finish your degree, you could be... Uh, <laughs> You've got some, options. You could be a teacher. You could come back and do a day here and there as a fly teacher or whatever. I was like, mom, I actually have some work, you know. Um, I, this is, and this is the other thing. In Canada, parents, especially it seems, are never impressed by a TV show or a movie if you're in a commercial. That's a big deal because all their friends okay. see commercials because right. they're all uh, senior citizens. They watch a lot of network television still and they still... If you're in a Tim Hortons commercial, it's that's the stratosphere. That's the absolute highest point. You made it. Yeah. You made it. TV series, forget it. Don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, you always have a, a really kind of funny uh, approach to, to anything that we've worked on. There's always this this incredible personality that just lights the room up, and I think that that's a, a, a great character trait. Which is also a description of you. Oh boy! You described yourself, Louis. There we go. Things very true. It me. is very true, though, Louis. No, you're you're an absolute delight. People love you. They see you. They love you. You're not the straight laced uh, corporate person that uh, people go. Oh, this is the same thing we're going to see a million times. Uh, I think in in working with you, you have a sort of a similar attitude, which I do, which is it, it's going to be okay. Like we're going to do this event, and it's going to go how it's going to go, and it's going to be okay. And as long as everyone, if we take on the role of We'll make it go smoothly and we'll relax. They relax, you know. And that's always the thing with uh, I find with corporate folks. If you have a big event, you're doing some national sales meeting, they love to come over and say, aren't you nervous? How can you not be nervous? And you're like, if you keep talking to me, I'll get nervous. I but might get you, nervous. But I'd love it if you'd go away. <laughs> right. Just give me a couple of minutes. I need yeah. my own time over they, here. They want to put your their energy, their anxiety on you when right. you're organizing an event or you're performing. But you really... You do, as a host, you have to take that on, and you do, as an event planner, have to take that on. But our role is to calm them down and let them know that it's going to be okay. To be that rock. Yeah. That yeah. solid foundation in, in, in the delivery of whatever that program is. They asked, uh, they asked there's a famous uh, baseball, let's go back to baseball, Louis. Yes. Uh, Tug McGraw, reliever, famously for a, a big, big uh, World Series of the Phillies in 1980. And everyone was saying, as a closer, as a closer, you know, so he's coming, a oh, high pressure, ninth inning, World Series. How do you deal with that pressure? And Tug McGraw said, you know, I got a theory. No matter what happens, Earth is eventually going to be a frozen ice ball going through space, and no one's going to care about the ninth inning. <laughs> I love so, it. So in a lot of ways, that's the frozen ice ball theory. It's like, guys, relax. This event is going to be fine, or it's not. We're still going to be a frozen ice ball. We're still going to be a frozen <laughs> ice ball. Might not be today, but we're going to get there. Yeah. I love that. I mean, um, when I was when I was looking for somebody to come in and, and and bring a personality into corporate, it was really because in the events that I was I was programming and managing, it, it lacked personality mm -hmm. a lot of times, and it was very rigid. And that was the point of difference out of that distinction that we had that we'd bring in unique and creative elements. So we'd layer them on the event. Sometime it, it was way too much, yeah. Um, and you end up peeling back, and you get to the real rawness of it. And I think. What's most important is that if you can inject humor in, well, anything in life, if there's a chance to, at the right time, right yep. place, add that little something that makes people stop and breathe and laugh for a second, then you've, you've, you've kind of scored a point or two. And, uh, and that was an easy one when I brought you in yep. to be able to, to add to that. I mean, why don't you describe some of the things that you do in the corporate environment? And then sure. I'd love to talk about some of the movie things and sure, all the things sure. that get people excited because that's yeah. cool too. Um, in the corporate world. So the thing, the thing about, the, about uh, when you talk about improvisation and you, obviously the hosting aspect is very much uh, just bringing character, introducing the next person who's up, talk to that person, get their personality up. But the improvisational aspect is often uh, misconstrued and put into the category of axe throwing or like I build a bike or, you know, we went bowling or we went to, that was, they think that's sort of a, a team build 
that we do once and then we're gone forever. Right. But what we really bring when we talk about improvisational techniques that can help with uh, public speaking or just better communication skills, those are things that it should be done more often than just the one time and gone. So what we've actually done repeatedly with clients is, is the next year we'll do a little bit more and the next year a little bit more. So that first one is that first foundation. And there's and the other thing is there's no pressure to be funny. That's the thing that people think. They have to be funny when they're improvising. It's really no, it's just commitment to moving the exercise forward. You will naturally laugh and bring the humor because of what you're doing. You have a little bit of maybe discomfort at first, and you but then you realize, oh, the person, my partner, or the other people in the crowd had the same uh, anxieties about improvising, and they start laughing at this idea that we're all in the same boat. So that's a big part of it. So the two things is you don't have to be funny to do these techniques. Second thing is just to practice those techniques. And that's why you come back and try those things again and to make them very easy. Because improvisers are good communicators because we have no script. We have to get the idea across and you have to listen or you don't hear the same thing that I'm projecting to you or saying to you and you're not on the same page. And we always talked about this as improvisers. The first group that says that's bad improv is the audience. And in business, the first group that says these guys aren't on the same page or not communicating is the client or the potential client or even internally going, our management has no idea how to communicate, so I don't believe in this group. Just like we're on stage saying we're improvisers, if we're bad improvisers, they say, I don't, know, I don't believe in this group anymore. I never want to see these guys do comedy again. So that's a big thing we throw out there is that it's not just about being funny. It's about communicating better. Well, and let me, let me backtrack for a second for the listeners that don't know. Um, and if you happen to um, have been to a corporate meeting and there's a team building, you know, component or an activity, I like to, to get away from the whole term team building because mm -hmm. it's, uh, I don't know, it just has connotations in a lot of ways. Some people think you're going to be running around the city taking photos of icons and, and landmarks and stuff. And I think the best team building that really happens is the dialogue and the exchange that happened between, you know, coworker, mm -hmm. manager, um, you know, employee, um, and how you can socialize. So in, in the environments that we help program, I end up creating like these spaces for collaboration and for communication and for, for dialogue that are social and they're fun. Um, but they're not necessarily as regimented or structured yeah. as a typical team build. So when I'm, when I contacted you uh, way back, Sandy, it was it was a chance to be able to bring in, you know, this this performance piece because in a lot of ways it's not unlike being on stage. And in a matter of fact, you are on stage, but really outside of like teeing up that introduction and making sure that somebody recognized who the keynote speaker is, or in fact, when you've been a keynote yep. speaker and you've delivered a message that's you know key to the brand. Um, for me, it was about bringing in something that was unique and different. And I'll tell you. Um, we talk about how we should be doing more improv mm -hmm. and the most difficult sell that I've ever had in corporate was to sell improv. Yeah. That's not, a, that's not an unusual thing. I mean, I think back to, uh, second city when they first decided, Oh, we could use these things to teach corporate, all these corporate people going like those, like for lack of a better term, hippies from second city, right. think they're going to come into our business world and teach us all these things. So I'm sure there was a quite a fight to get it across, but uh, the results are there. They're always there. I, it's, and I think, again, sometimes what happens is the person who's making a decision to bring in an improv uh, workshop is thinking, am I going to have to be in that workshop and am I going to have to be funny? They can't get it out of their own way. Right. So they won't allow the next 100 people to get the education that they need. 
they think like I have so much anxiety. And that's often why we also have come across problems where someone will say, uh, this is great. The group could really use this. I won't be doing it, right? but they'll be great. Right. And you're like digging deeper. You're like, why won't you do it? And it's just a fear and anxiety of looking funny or looking bad. And, and that's gone in the first five minutes of the workshop. We take away that anxiety so quickly to say, you're all in the same boat. You don't have to get in front of a bunch of people. You're working in pairs and large groups. It's really about moving the exercises forward. You're going to have a good time doing it. And so what will happen is the person who initially said, I'm not going to go into that, but halfway through, they're like, okay, I could go in there. That's not really leadership, though. Leadership is going first, right? right? And so a lot of these folks need to take the plunge and go first. Now, when we have, on the other side, when we have leaders who go, no, these guys need it, and we're going to do it, and I'm into it, I'm going to go all the way, those leaders really shine because the group goes, oh, they, they had a belief in this, it's working, and now they look like the heroes. Yeah, they're authoring the program. They're coming back with full support, and they're, they're leading by example. Yeah. They're giving a perfect, uh, you know, uh, they're giving the perfect uplift to a situation where somebody could be a naysayer or, you know, debate whether or not this is valuable. I love... I will say one thing. Yes. We are always taught as improvisers to make the audience look like heroes. Right. That's why we always make our students look like heroes. And especially the people that hire us and bring us in, we want to make sure they look like heroes, of course, because that's, of course, beneficial to us at the end of the day. Of course. Because if we bring a volunteer on stage and we are rude to that volunteer, make them look like crap, get a quick laugh, no one in that audience is ever going to come on stage again because they're like, that guy may look like such an idiot. I don't want to do that. So that's what we take into the workshops is to go, we want to make everybody look good because if I make you look terrible, I'm never going to work with you again. Why would you want to hire us back? So we're always looking to make the other person look good. That is such a big principle of improvisation. We always say, got your back. Got your back. Yeah. It's a key It's a key point. And I know that I love when I get to rewind and play back what happened at a session that I've had you in yeah. or we did an improv workshop or whatever it is because usually it's the person that was, you know, kicking and fighting against this idea that comes back like the biggest ambassador, the champions, yeah. they're the cheerleader for it. We've certainly had examples of that for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> many, many times over the yeah. course of all these years. But, um, I love the evolution of the workshops from mm -hmm. year one to two to three and how now it gets written into the plan. It gets written into the plan well before some of the other content. Yeah. Cause it's important during these meetings or the communication, whether it's a large company or small, you know, um, even in 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 uh, in small environments, you know, twenty people or less, there still needs to be this dialogue and communication. And these, I think, the improvement and the skills training that happens from companies that say we want to invest in our teams and our people and ourselves are the ones that are always going to float to the top. They're always going to be one step ahead of everybody else. And so, I'm always interested in making sure that uh, those that are curious. We give them um, something that can actually, you know, fill their boots, as yep. it were. And this is a thing that's totally translated into the virtual realm, like to the Zoom, WebEx, whatever realm. It's really worked because now, more than ever, you're not just working, you're performing. You you're know, performing. You're performing. Yeah. You are, you're performing. And now you've got to really step up those skills. You have to be a better listener. You have to, because people know when you check out. And they certainly know when you check out when you turn your camera off. <laughs> it's a very obvious a statement that I may or may not be listening when your camera's off. So yes. if you're going to keep your camera on, how do you stay focused and learn those listening exercises are huge in improvisation. So we had a lot of uh, experience together pre-COVID, and of course everything came to a screeching halt. Um, for the the corporate meeting side live, of course we've made the pivot and we're doing lots of virtual. We're on programs together right now. Um, how have you seen how have you seen the shift from the live world that you were and I were once part of to what we're doing online right now, where are the key points of difference? And 
Is there anything that's to our advantage now, like in your opinion? Well, one thing that's to our advantage is that I find uh, you get you can get hired any like there's no travel, so that you're hired anywhere, and right. then you can do it from your house, obviously, and everyone's coming in from everywhere. And when all those expenses go away, sometimes they bring in more instructors, more hosts, more things because there's some money to do that. I mean, that's just the financial side of it. Yes, um, I find that to be interactive, which is very unusual. They're used to having people talk to them or talk at them, but the interactive aspect of the uh, virtual sessions when I'm teaching is amazing because people are cameras on because they're like, okay, I'm engaged in this. And we can, we were, we are more inclined to say, you know, Steve's going to jump on here right now versus like, okay, I'm just going to talk for an hour and you may or may not be listening. You kind of have to be engaged when someone might just call your name. <laughs> at least paying attention in the background. Yeah. At least paying attention to the background. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big one for sure. And there's just a, there's just a whole factor of not even just like having to hire a host to travel somewhere. Everyone to, everyone can just be there. So suddenly, you know, the other thing too is Louis, you can get a call on Monday going on Friday. I need everybody on this all hands and you could come on and can I get some to host? I can do it in five days. No problem. Right. Versus right. before it was like, well, where are we? Is a hotel room. Do I got to travel somewhere. Is everybody coming together? We can very suddenly put this together. Yeah. Logistics have always uh, posed their own challenges in the, in the events for the live world. Uh, for meetings, uh, for time away from your office, time away from... I mean, now we're condensing those schedules that would have been up at 7.30, mm -hmm. having breakfast at 8, and then finishing the day at 5 um, in some amazing resort around the world. Uh, now we're doing it in 90 minutes to 2 hours a day because we're really much concerned about people's laptop fatigue or, yeah. or Zoom fatigue or whatever it is. So it's more important now, in my opinion, to make sure that we're engaged and we're... we're um, you know, we're, we're part of something where I can be the 70th person in this meeting and still have a voice. Yes. I need to create these spaces for them to be able to constantly be participating. Yep. And that I think is, is great. I also said to a client that, you know, asked us if we could help with a fundraiser uh, in 2021 and their fundraiser would typically host, you know, um, 1500 people at a, at a, at a, at a live event mm -hmm. And how sad it was going to be this year that they couldn't have the live, live event. And I'm like, but I think you're missing the point. Like, we can go to 5,000 people. Yeah. And we can extend that reach. And we can create these really dynamic and fun, engaging uh, moments in this meeting that, that actually have people walk away going, that was the best thing I've ever had. And I'm looking forward to that because now I think we're all becoming a little more creative in how we perform and yeah. how we deliver and how we engage, you know, professionals like you in that space and you know, uh, from the moment that they get into that call till, you know, the two weeks afterwards when they're ref reflecting on what was cool about it. You know, I mm -hmm. think that's, that's an opportunity for us now to be really creative. And I like that. Of course. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an improviser's mindset though, is you don't look at the limits, you look at the possibilities, right? So well, it's that's, always like that. yeah, I was going to I was going to say, why don't you give us like, you know, if I was to, I don't want you to do a workshop, but if I was to, yeah. To say, what am I going to really get out of yep. this? You know, yep. and, and how can I apply it to my professional life? But more importantly, for those listeners that that, uh, that are employees, how can they possibly take some of that learning and then put it in their day-to-day, -day, whether at home, on the calls, on the Zoom meetings? Like, yep. Yeah, so it's uh, we do exercises that are pretty simple to start with. They're very easy to remember why that's important. Uh, an example, I'll give an example of an exercise that might help to uh, to illustrate this. So we have something called last word response, which is you and I are having a conversation. 
you will use the, the last word of my sentence as the first word of your response, and I'll do the same back to you. So let's just do it, Louie. So uh, I'm going to start, and my last word is going to be your first word. I'm just going to talk about a uh, South America. Uh, so, you know, I've never really been all over South America, but my brother lives in Chile, and I'd love to go there. Talking about there. There. Okay, so that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so you come that. back. There's your first word. There was a good memory that came to mind, and it was when I was traveling the world and felt like it was uh, a new learning experience for me. Me and a lot of my friends really miss traveling. Uh, the furthest they get is our backyard because we can be like uh, COVID safe in a backyard with all this distancing. Distancing is something that's on my mind always. I'm worried about being within six feet of people, and I think that that's something we should pay attention to. Great. So that would be a conversation we have in a larger sense, okay. longer sentence or shortened sentence. And what we talk about is listening to the end of someone's sentence and how often you actually do that. Ah, good. And most people in the room are saying, I don't ever do that. Right. Because I'm thinking of my answer before you finished talking. And if you start thinking of your answer, you stop listening. And perhaps that person, especially as a client or someone like that, someone that's you're trying to get their business. Yes. They're answering your question, but you've already started formulating the question you're going to ask. And they can basically just say, I just was talking about that you're clearly not listening and that really hurts relationships so that's when you start to take those improvisational techniques and go how can this hurt your relationships if you're not listening properly and how can it help you if you're a really good listener and then one thing in this thing is this exercise too is we always say we didn't tell you you had to immediately respond you can take a moment to reflect before you give an answer and we point out that a lot of times in north american society especially in this exercise we see the people that answer right away so you say where where oh, yeah, there because right Pauses in business in North America are equal to awkward pause, which is equal to, I don't know what I'm talking about, so I better fill that. And I got to come back with a quick answer. So we, we talked about in that exercise too, above just listening. Also, why not have reflective answers that are right answers versus like just jump into something that you can't deliver on? This listening yeah. piece is massive. I mean, um, we're hearing more people talk about the fact that you have to be a good listener um, to really be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And as I recall, that awkward pause, um, it was early in the advertising career. And, and one of my clients, um, really great guy, like uh, you'd, you'd like to spend time with him outside of the work environment, you know, and just had his whole world was kind of together. And I remember going into meetings with him or being on a call and he would always be reflective. He mm -hmm. would wait, he would listen. And then there was moments where I thought, is anybody on the phone? Like this is a little too long of a pause. And um, quite honestly, it intimidated me. Yeah. I felt like, my God, I got to really put my game on here. Right. And I was worried about my response because his was so methodic. It was thought out and it was it was delayed and it was well delivered. And um, after a couple of years of us working together, I, I mentioned to him how I used to get nervous when I was presenting because of the way he responded. And he shared with me that he was nervous because I was presenting and he wanted to be, he wanted to make sure he sounded better than he actually would normally wow. sound. Yeah. So it was amazing how we both approached the same situation um, and what that pause and that reflection did to how I was preparing for that meeting. Well, just to, to really put it in minor, in a minor way into a political landscape, but a way that you can really think about this is do you want to be reflective or reactive? Obama was reflective Trump is reactive. Beautiful. So when you're watching someone ask a question of Obama, he takes a moment to go, hmm, all right. I'm actually going to think, sometimes I'm going to think about that and come back with something, whereas Trump attacks and comes back too quickly and, and makes statements that make no sense. 
So that's really where you're at when you're giving a presentation. Always think of that Obama idea that your, your pacing is you can be a little slower and you can think about things. And that person invites also questions and answers. Once Q&A, so when someone, someone's very reflective, you're more uh, likely to ask a question to that person. If someone's reactive, you're really afraid to ask because you don't know you're going to get attacked or what's going to happen. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Listening, be reflective, pause for a minute, yeah. and, and then come back with something that's meaningful as opposed to just a response. I teach athletes all the time. I do, I've worked with Major League Baseball 15 years, NHL 8 years. These guys, I'm always saying to them to take that pause. If you're asked a question, you don't have to answer right away. You can take the pause. Um, they used to always say in baseball, they probably still do, pause, pass, prefer which is pause. Do you want to pass on that question or do you prefer another way of answering it? Think of those ideas, pause, all those things. Those pauses, though, are massive, like to take a second. You don't have to answer right away. So I can see how we could use that tip for our personal life, our business life. What else comes up in, in the improv training session? Uh, well, there's a lot of ideas about the yes and concept. People think, you know, yes and is always... Uh, Definitely solidify with imp improvisation. You people who basically just don't know a lot about improv even know yes and is attached to it. And yes and is important because yes and is is uh, hearing. The yes is I heard what you said, and then and is building on it. Um, what happens a lot of times in the corporate world is people, especially who have to sign the checks, are like, I can't say yes to everything. And you're trying to take the idea and go, no, no, the yes isn't I'm going to sign a check. The yes is I heard you. Okay. And the and is here's how it's achievable. Oh, good. So if somebody says, it's, I want to do this massive thing for our group and it's way beyond budget, you should be saying, yes, I heard what you want to do. And here's how we can achieve that. If the budget isn't there, we can't do it. You can still say no at the end of the day, in fact. But in brainstorming sessions, I always say like, the yes is I heard you and is I wrote it on the board and we can build on that idea that you just brought up. And I always talk about you know the person who has the marker with a dry erase board and says, okay, I want to take this group on a vacation or a retreat somewhere. Where are we going to go? And everyone's yelling at ideas like, oh, I want to go to New Zealand. Great. Person writes it on the board. Next person, I want to go to Mexico. Great. Mexico goes on the board. Third person, we're going to go, Japan, anybody else? So didn't get written on the board, didn't say yes to Japan, just moved on to the next idea. How likely is that person going to be to suggest another thing? Very, very unlikely, right? Unlikely. So that's the yes and. The yes and is just simply, I heard you say Japan and I'm writing on the board and hey, maybe not Japan, but how about if we went to like Vancouver and went to a sushi restaurant, made it within a budget. You know, it's like, what can we actually do? And what I always encourage people with the yes and is just get it all up on the board, get all the ideas out there. Then you can go back and go, what's actually reality? Right. Their idea in the head a little bit of the yes and is just hearing the yes. And that means I just have to do what everybody says. That's not the way that yes and works. That's not the outcome. It's not to be a yes, uh, yes man through the whole the whole piece. No, because it's unrealistic. Yeah, you can't perform like but that. But that's a big part of some companies. You'll say, we're going to teach part of this is yes and. They'll say, well, I don't want to hear that because I want to say yes all the time. Right. Like it's not what it is. Yes and is part, yes is only part of yes and. That's good. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about how I can apply that to my personal life. <laughs> yes. And honey, I've heard that. And it's yep. going on the board. Yep. That's part talking of about word choices like should, could is another one. Uh, if you're saying uh, you should all the time, people are not going to want to come to you for, for advice because you're just telling them what they should do. You should do. Could is more collaborative, right? So that's a great one in relationships. If your wife is like, I want to go to Ikea on Labor Day or whatever that weekend is when everyone goes and gets their futon for the college kid, you don't want to go. Yes. You don't want to say, you know, you should go another time. It's more, we could go this weekend, but why don't we go during the week? You're offering solutions, right? Versus just saying, this is how it's going to be. Amazing. Just Might the, save a relationship, Louis. I think it will. This is this has now turned into relationship <laughs> advice. Is. It's a big part of it. It's not just, that's the, but the improv workshops, it's not just about 
the the uh, advice in the business world, it also can save your personal relationships because it's just person. It's just communication and listening is just a a, a person skill, not just like a, a drone <laughs> a corporate drone job. <laughs> Our job today is to debunk anything that yeah. was negative around improv and That's where true. where it belongs in your life and your work and your personal life because. I've never seen uh, a session or a workshop or even a slight introduction mm-hmm. not land perfectly. And, oh, cool. and to the point where yeah. people would go out of their way to come and find me after a session and tell me how great it was. Oh, that's great and I, that. I think, I mean, I know that they show their excitement during the workshops, but it's the stuff that they say behind the scenes mm-hmm. that makes me realize that we're really onto something cool here. And if it wasn't for you bringing that to life in these little environments, then that would have been, um, you know, maybe another team build where they're taking photos around the city. <laughs> I, I just don't see that. I don't see Louis, you have a real thing about the team builder. You I'm take sorry, photos man. around the yeah. city. That's your one thing you will not do. I will don't not. ever let me catch you. Yeah, I won't. A team I promise you that. The city. If anybody asks me to do that, we can't. You can't do it. It's not part no. of it. Um, My favorite thing when you wanted, whenever a corporate client comes in a second city or whatever world it was and said, uh, we have an idea. This is what we want you to do. The best way to get out of it is say, uh, we don't have the insurance for that. <laughs> That's perfect. So if they say, I want to run around the city taking photos, you go, it's about, it's about $5 million to buy that insurance. We can't afford that. We can't afford and that. And that goes away really quickly. It well, does. Things go away really quickly when they can't get the insurance. I love that. Yeah. Um, so improv, I think we, we've established is, is hugely important. It's, it's an opportunity to pull it into your personal life and there's going to be some benefit to it. I always think about these little funny bits that we end up doing on these shows and where we bring mm-hmm. that humor back in and, some of the the pre-records that we end up doing when we interview people, yeah. I mean, that has a lot to do with your your ability to deliver improv uh, because yeah. you end up you end up pulling stuff out of people that normally aren't comfortable. They'll always kick and and fight on yeah. the way to the camera when we say, "Would you mind coming over for a quick interview?" Uh, and then we use that content to be able to pepper it through the rest of the meeting, which yes. is really fun. Like yeah. it's it's one of the highlights of most of the meetings. But I mean. Um, you're looking at people's personalities and you're, you're drawing stuff out of them that they, maybe it's their deepest secrets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They have an ability to do that. Like, well, it's funny. Sometimes, uh, you know, Frank of course is working the camera, uh, is amazing at it. And I always will, I, I always kind of make it sound like, uh, uh, Frank's like an orphan and this is all he wants to do is shoot some film. And if you could just help this guy out and that just seems to get them to talk. Cause they just look at Frank and he's, he's got this, like, he's kind of got that boyish kind of a look about him, you know, that's like this, this guy could use a dime. So they <laughs> help out a, help out a buddy. <laughs> no, but there is we we Frank and I actually do employ the tactic a little bit. Like we're going to make you look great. It's going to be fine. Exactly as Rocky improvisers make people look like heroes. Make them look like yeah. heroes. And and Frank actually just in all seriousness is a welcoming person. Yes. and that's a big factor because if you have someone on camera who's like grumpy and doesn't really want to be there, they will read that right away and be like, "Why am I doing this?" There's no doubt right. about it. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think that that's going to be valuable for people that are listening today, but I want to talk about some of the fun things that sure. you've been part of and yep. uh, some of the career highlights. I mean, uh, by now, I'm most of the listeners, if they're watching this tonight uh, on YouTube, um, they've probably recognized your face and can't figure out why. So let's <laughs> let the, them know uh, that's where. The, that's the uh, whole burden of a Canadian actor, Louis. They oh, recognize your is? face, but they don't know, they don't why. know why. Yeah. It's a, uh, what do they say? You know, in America, they say it's a virtual who's who of all the best. In Canada, it's a virtual who's that <laughs> of all of Canadian talent. Um, yeah. Well, what, do I, what would you like to know about? Well, like, me? I mean, I know there's some TV shows. I mean, uh, you have an audience. My, uh, my kids yep. knew who you were when we first started working together. And uh, I think those are really important shows. So I'd love to talk about that because sure. it, it affects, like, family. It does affect family. Well, it's funny because, you know, I did Second City and then I went to LA and I was in 
Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, and that was a big deal. And being Officer Palumbo was a thing, and it got a lot of recognition. Um, and then I uh, came back, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I love game shows, so I've hosted a few game shows. Uh, uh, and then I also I do the thing is in Canada we shoot we shot for a long time and now it's it's actually had a resurgence a lot of family sitcoms yeah so that was a lot of things that were going on YTV and Family Channel but then they also have a co viewership in Nickelodeon in the states places like that uh, and that became an industry industry that was really fun and exciting I mean if you want to be on a sitcom it was a weird thing because at first you're like is it a, is it a family sitcom or is it a sitcom it's like it's just a sitcom like just treat it that way. So Life with Boys was a big break for me. Uh, playing the dad in Life with Boys was a big deal. The Nickelodeon, and it was here in YTV. And that's where a lot of kids recognize me from, they for, sure. There for sure. And now they're in their 20s, and they're like, right. yeah, I can't believe it. But they remember, and I also used to write a lot of shows. I used to write a lot of, uh, I wrote a show called Splat a Lot, which was basically like Wipeout, but it was a castle. And you try to run the obstacle course to the castle, but you're being pelted and thrown at by these like defenders who are basically like medieval weirdos who just threw stuff at you. <laughs> And it got a massive second audience with the stoner crowd. So I had the kids who go, oh, I've seen that show. Okay. And then you had these college kids going, man, I love that wipeout. I splat a lot. I love that splat a lot so much, man. And those guys knew all the characters. And it was like, oh, my goodness. So that was a kind of a co-viewership that was going on. Great. Uh, and that so yeah, I did, and now I'm in a show called uh, Parker Anderson's. And it's also called, it's two shows. It's Parker Anderson's and Amelia Parker were shooting it basically at the same time. Uh, and I'm playing this divorced dad who's separate from the main family and comes over. He's kind of the fun dad that comes by. So it's kind of good for me because I played like the all-American dad in Life, Life with Boys. And now I'm playing the divorced dad. Divorced dad. <laughs> um, but uh, that's been a big industry for me. And then I've also hosted Just Like Mom and Dad with my wife, Kylie Evans. Mm -hmm. uh, I hosted a show called Deal With It where we used to mess with people in uh, restaurants. I hosted a show called Great Home Giveaway years ago on HGTV where we basically had three couples bid on what they think the house was worth and then we gave away a house. And wow. So I've done a lot of these game shows as well. And I'm a huge game show fanatic. Um, this has been very rough with Alex Trebek passing because he was my hero. Yeah. Every night day. my wife and I uh, have cocktail hour, which is Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. From Monday to Friday, 7 to 8 is cocktail hour. If we don't aren't home, we record it. We recorded it today to watch it tonight because we are 80-year-old you're 80 year old. Right. You're 80 year old. But we, uh, <laughs> a lot of our friends are like, I get Jeopardy, but Wheel of Fortune? <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure. Come on. It's classic. But uh, that's that's really what I love to do host game shows. And now I, like, I love being on these family sitcoms. They're great. And you're right. Families watching the co viewership is insane. The parents know it, the kids know it. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen it happen many times where somebody says, I can't figure out where I know that guy from. Yeah. And then as I look back and I try to help them understand that, I look back at these photos of you from like 100 years ago and you look exactly the same. I know, it's weird. I don't change. You don't change. It's something in the uh, in the, the jeans. drinking water. Oh, drinking water, drinking oh, water the beer, I think. Yeah, it's fine. You, you, know what, you know what's funny is uh, when I was 18, I looked 28. And then I continued to look 28 for a very long time. But I looked too old. So when I would come and audition for beer commercials, they're like, What's this 28-year-old guy doing with the 21-year-olds at the beach? Right. We're not going to hire this guy. So I would never get any of those commercials, any of those things. I was just too uh, too old. And the first commercial I ever got was for Sears, where I was holding a baby. I was 24. I didn't even know what the concept was. I went to this audition where they were basically just like, okay, you're having fun with some friends and stuff. There was no kids. And then they said, you got this commercial? Showed up to this house, and they're like, okay, so you got the baby. There's a dishwasher in the background. You're kind of walking around. I'm like, and they just handed me a baby. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, but those are the kind of commercials they wanted to give me immediately because I looked like a 32-year-old dad when I was 24. So I had a weird thing where I've kind of gone like, 
I looked like my 30s, and then I finally got to my 30s, and then I went past my 30s and still looked like 30s, which 30s. is okay, right? It's so, not a bad thing. Not, a, not at all. But when I was young, I was like, I want to be in the cool commercials with the girls in the bikinis drinking beers. And it was like, this old guy can't be. This in. guy can't do that. He's not the right mix. <laughs> he Long looks like, demo. He definitely looks like a narc. Right. He looks like he's shown up at this party. <laughs> right. Uh, looking way too old. Yeah. Hey, so what's happening now with filming? I mean, I know you just came from the set today. You had a yeah. big one-liner. Yeah. Um, one what, worder, actually. One worder. Sorry, one Tony. worder. Tony, Tony was the word. That was the word. So you were there Tony. a full day to say the word uh, Tony? I was there for uh, about uh, seven hours today to say Tony. That's great. That's the world, man. That's the TV and film world. As I always say to my wife, this is the life we've chosen because she's an actor too, and mm -hmm. she hates when I say that. But it's uh, she'll be like, I've been on set for eight hours and I'm just sitting around waiting in my trailer. I'm like, first of all, first world problems. Yes. Second of all, it's the life you chose. So I don't know what to say if you don't like it. Hey, yeah. it's the life you chose. It is. But, you know, uh, she's amazing, too. I've seen her in lots of stuff. Kylie's uh, fantastic. She's fantastic. a better actor than me. She's in season seven of uh, Good Witch shooting right now. As we speak, she's there shooting right now. And so how does that change right now? I mean, what's I mean, the protocols that are in place must be pretty... I mean, you must be going to testing. And We're tested. I'm tested once a week. Uh, Kylie's tested three times a week. She has to be there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Even if she's not working, they drive her in to test her on set. So that's a huge part of the process. We have her masks on the whole time. Uh, only the actors can take their masks off when they say action. Is that right? Yeah, even in rehearsals, we were wearing the masks. Um, just get used to it. Yeah. So you feel like you're. How many you, cider burps do you want on this camera? On this uh, mic? Is that? We're, uh, what are we up to now? Uh, what's the over under? Uh, too many. Too many. Yeah, I don't fine. drink a lot of cider, Louis. I think you did to me. Well, cider, you know, it's good for you. Um, I disagree. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you could be right. Uh, anyway, I was thinking about is, the challenges yeah. that you guys are all going through right now. Like the any crew. other business. I feel so you know? bad for the crew. That's right. The crew is working so hard in these masks all day, these uh, visors, the whole bit, these glasses. They're doing everything under these masks. They don't take, take them off. The crews work hard as it is. I, they're amazing. They just make it happen. They just do, you know. And, and we, we all ran away and joined the circus because we want to do it. And so we're willing to go to work and wear a mask for 12 hours because we want to do it. Yeah. Like every, every crew member wants to do it. So they just do it. And, and most people would go insane just going like, I don't want to wear a mask for 12 hours sweating and all that. So yeah, it's actually hats off to those guys all the time. I would say the same. We've got uh, our crew on this side for this business. They're enduring uh, that change in life and the way they operate. It's not what they planned. It's not what any of us planned. But you either jump in and do it because that's what you do. Yeah, well, this is the whole thing, going back to improvisation, what we really learned to be as to do as good improvisers. The biggest thing we learned to do as good improvisers, you have to play the scene you're in, not the scene you want to be in. Oh, good. And that is a big thing in life right now, is we have to play the scene we're in, not the one we want to be in. So we have to stop, oh, I would have been on a vacation right now, or I would have been doing this, or I would have been doing that. Because if you live with somebody, especially who has anxiety, they don't need to be told a million times what you would have been doing. Right. They need to be uh, helped now with what they're dealing with. And so that's a big part of a, a skill we teach is improvisation. Because an improviser who, who wants to be in a different scene walks into a doctor's office and starts talking about how they're a farmer and it's a farmer's field, right? And that's a bad improv scene. A good improviser goes, I kind of wanted to make this about farming. You've offered that it's a doctor's office. I'm going to go to your idea, right? Okay, yeah. So that's what we have to do in life right now is just you got to play the scene you're in, not the one you want to be in. That's a great piece of advice. It's huge. I mean, it's simple, and that's usually I find the best pieces of advice are all rooted in the simplicity of the thought, and that one is perfect. Listen, if I wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. to go to work and I had too many to drink the night before, I say to myself, buck up, because you got to play the scene you're in, not the one you want to be the one in. you want to be I know in. you didn't want to drink last night and I wanted to have a good sleep. That's not the scene you're in right now. Go to work. Go to work. Yeah. And get it done. Yeah.
Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a little insight into my life. That's a, that, I might have just pulled this off here. That's a little insight into my life. Uh, one cider in. One cider in, yeah. four burps. <laughs> no, four. I wish it was four, hey, Frank? Your mic wishes it was four. <laughs> that's great. So what can we expect? What's yes. going on in the, in the near future outside of the filming today? Yeah. I mean, um, I know that we've got you on a bunch of programs yeah. coming up in the, uh, the new year, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, but what else have you been working on in the background? What's the shift well, been for you? I mean, at some point you were looking down a barrel like the rest of us. But yeah. What came to mind? You know, it's funny. Uh, when I was a kid, I was always good at entertaining myself. And I think that skill <laughs> helps a lot. When you're, you know, holed up in a house for three, four months and can't go anywhere. I mean, my wife and I were like getting puzzles and all the same things people were doing. But for whatever reason, we just had this ability to entertain ourselves and just and be okay to be alone and not panic and all this kind of thing. So that's a really good skill as a kid. My mom would always say, when you were a kid, you'd go to your room. We didn't know what you were doing in there, which definitely sounded like I was masturbating. But it really was just <laughs> going in there and playing with toys or reading a book. And I was okay with that. I really was. And those are the kind of skills that you can't just teach overnight. Um, but those have definitely helped. Uh, we, I, one thing I, we were, we were talking about uh, before we started all this was the hilarious house of Frankenstein. And that's a project that we bought the rights to. This was a show that was shot in 1970 and, uh, uh, 1971, sorry, in, uh, in Hamilton. This was a show that was a big cult hit, Billy Van and, uh, and Vincent Price and all these weird characters in this castle. And, uh, we went and bought the rights to that and we've been working on bringing it back. And it's been a big process. And, of course, COVID is not the best time to try to pitch a new live-action show. Yeah, of course. Uh, but uh, we're very happy with where the development has gone. We've been working a lot with CBC and uh, trying to sell it to partners in the States as well. And that's, that's a show that people remember. I mean, I was showing this. I got the – for some of the deep cuts, the librarian. There's a yeah, Frankenstein character deep cuts, right there. Deep cuts, the librarian. Billy Van. I mean, that show, I mean, uh, I, I, I mean that, that age group where, you know, I grew up with it. And, and if ever you make a reference – uh, you know somebody else that gets it because they're mm -hmm. so iconic, like uh, yep. you know the counting and and the the closeout with uh, Vincent Price yep. and you know all those pieces were so yep. so memorable and and not because the show was you know filled with production value. No, uh, at the none time. of that. There's none of that. It was just really great. It was yeah. it was fun. It was funny. It was terrifying. Really weird. Yeah, it's a really weird show. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. as a kid, you know, you're like you're looking at this stuff, going, this is. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know the opening with or the ending with like don't come alone next time you're don't come alone. Scared the crap out of you when you were a kid. It really did it. And it was just such a weird, weird show. So that's the challenge of trying to bring a show like that back is now the they're just not the networks are like we need it more polished. It has to be a little more there has to be more of a streamline in there and like more of a I understand what's going on. Whereas the original show is just it was like hundred and ten episodes they shot in like no time at all. And they just kind of said like Billy just be weird for a bunch of times and we'll cut that up and make that 20 episodes and all these things, a lot of improvisation in that show for sure. Um, and with no budget really. And they thought they were never, who, no one's going to watch it. Maybe show it once, never see it again. And it just became a huge cult hit. I mean, they brought in Vincent Price for I think four days. I think they gave him $1,100. You're kidding me. And they just said, do a bunch of monologues and we'll write them on boards and just read these monologues, like a hundred and so monologue more. And he just did it. And you, that's why when you watch it, he's, Clearly, his eyes are reading while he's saying it, but he's still delivering it. And they have these great stories about, you know, Vincent Price. Just one time they were trying to get a bunch. They were, they were, they'd gone so far ahead. The writers were still trying to write the monologues. Needed a break. So Vincent Price is like, where's the beer store? He went and got a bunch of beers, cases of beer, brought them back, gave them to the crew. And they just sat around. And he told stories about being in Hollywood. It's just like an amazing guy who just decided to do this thing, you know, wow. for no money, but a legendary thing to do. 
And so how does it that you end up with this in your lap and this project? Uh, that was because I tried once before and it was challenging and couldn't do it. And then uh, my partner, Kenny Cooperus, uh, he and his wife, Michelle Melanson, started a company called Head Spinner. And they said, we know you like this project. Why don't we all go and get it uh, together? Because it'll be our first Head Spinner splash. And that's how it all became. So Mitch Markowitz, who was uh, originally the show as Super Hippie, uh, and a couple other characters, uh, he had the rights. And so he decided to come in in a partnership to try to get, get it back. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and that was a whole other story. Mitch is a character and that was a whole other story getting those rights. But uh, so far, so good. At least that we were uh, getting somewhere. Yeah. So you're writing right now. It's not the best time, like you say, in COVID yeah. to pitch anything. But um, has there been reception? Has there been some? Oh, kind yeah. Of, yeah. Oh, that's Lots good. of great reception. The biggest thing that uh, people are debating was or have been and now kind of made decisions on was, do we want a show that accepts that uh, this is going on right now? So you see, see big shows like This Is Us and The Good Doctor and all that stuff. They are in COVID times wearing masks. masks. They've embraced it. But the shows that they feel will go to heavy syndication or be a kid's show that you shoot a bunch are saying we don't want to have that at all. We do, five years from now, we don't want to see people wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. The show I'm working, the kid's show I'm working now, not, not talking about it at all. Right. So definitely people were debating that. Um, I think for Fright and Sign, they would definitely not want to have masks because it's if they, they see that show showing for 20 years and it would just be weird 20 years from now going, it seems so dated that right. people are wearing masks. That's the weird thing that's going to happen to us is 10 years from now, it's going to be so dated to see an episode about being in COVID. Yeah, and every uh, I've been asked to do a couple of radio interviews in the last couple of weeks, specifically related to the business and the community that I'm in, and um, the conversations are always the same. So, what did you do? What did you pivot? How did you? Yeah. And I just I think at some point, you know, we just got to talk about what we're going to do moving forward, you know, and mm -hmm. and not worry about what happened in the last six months or eight months. Although that I think is is topical, and people yeah. are interested in it now. At some point, the interest is going to fade. I just want to know what's going to happen, you know, next, and what can yeah. I look forward to? And that's the kind of conversations that I want to start having. Because I think people are interested and, you know, I think we can play the the rewind button as much as we want. But the reality is, is that the more forward facing we're looking, the more driven we are to go this direction, the better chance we are to get there. So the one joke I want to go to go away forever is like uh, when someone's on a Zoom call and they're like, I hope you're wearing pants. I feel like <laughs> if we could just have a thing happen where if someone's on a Zoom call and they go, hope you're wearing pants, they just explode. <laughs> it's like you can't say that anymore because you will explode and everyone kind of goes okay that's the one thing we can't do that's a big one and also like uh hey you don't have to be the person who screams you're on mute immediately like just a moment extra yes just a moment extra would be nice and because everyone's anxiety is so high they don't also need the anxiety of like, oh my God, I better not be on mute or, or Dorothy from accounting is going to scream, you're on mute. You're on mute. And everybody screams, you're on mute. Oh my God, just an you're extra mute. minute. You're on mute. Ox extra minute. Extra, even an extra moment. I mean, eventually if someone's talking for an extended yes. five, six seconds, you got to help them. Yes. But man, just like everyone relax and just like, oh, let it, just let it, just be. Just be Dorothy. Just be. <laughs> Slow down, Dorothy. <laughs> You're going to have an attack. Everyone's got a Dorothy in accounting, I think. Yeah, they they get what I mean. They all do. Well, man, I loved I loved getting the chance to wrap tonight, talk about some of the things you've been up to. I knew that it was going to be hugely um, valuable for anybody looking to see about that improv and the fear that they have behind that word and trying to you know pull some of those pieces into their own lives. Mm-hmm. But I think you've done a lot to help people understand and gave some little, you know, tidbit and little information I think that can help. So that's really good. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Loved hearing about your your projects and what you're working on. 
I typically lend, like to finish off a session talking about... With if, a song. Alouette, jante, alouette, alouette, jante, plume away. I think that's it. Plume away? I didn't, that's not right. It's not right. I heard on the weekend that song is about like plucking a goose. Plume away, plume a, Oh. Yeah, it's actually about plucking a goose. So if anyone needs to know that fact. That's a good one. <laughs> Thanks for ending Sorry, on that. How do you like to end it on? Like I was going to say something else, but <laughs> no, I think no. that might be the no, highlight. No, I want to hear what you got to say. Please. Well, I was going to say that we always like to give people little insights on what somebody can't live without when it comes to technology, a website, right. something that you're up to um, in your world that you're just like, this is my piece of information that I share with the world. They have to have it. Uh, some people have talked about com.com, the app. Some people have talked about, you know, um, scheduling, you know, I guess they're relating it to business, but yep. what can't you live without? You know, I think, you, I honestly, I just, <laughs> I can't live without books. And you've got to have a book everywhere you go. It was the greatest piece of advice I ever heard in acting, which was Gene Hackman. They said to Gene Hackman, what advice would you give to young actors when they first go to their first uh, movie set? He said, bring a book. Because you're going to sit around a lot, and you don't want to waste time in your life. So bring a book. So I think, oh, I got some weird mosquito. What is this? November no, it's, uh, it's cider, cider, cider flies. Oh, cider flies. Yes. But it, that's a big thing. And I think, uh, I think we all have to remember to put our phones down and read a book. So that if uh, at some point the next thing is not a pandemic, it's that all the power goes out. <laughs> you haven't forgotten how to read a book and you better have a good supply of them. Great advice, bud. <laughs> Sandy, Job, and Bevins, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. Thank you, Louis. You Love are the sweetest, sweetest man I've ever met. In your life. Uh, this Well, in, in recent times. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for paying attention tonight. We appreciate you being here. All the best.